Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. In today's episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark, we're proud to tell you about Zonly an Amazon best-selling sleep products company dedicated to improving physical and mental well-being using natural solutions backed by science. Their anxiety-reducing weighted blankets are truly one of a kind, and you can check them out now. For more information and to see Zonley's assortment of products, just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Zonley. Zonley is spelled Z-O-N-L-I. As an Amazon associate, I earn from qualifying purchases, and by visiting the URL before you make your purchase, a portion of the sale comes back to me and the team at Scary Stories Told in the Dark. And you'll be helping to support this program at no cost to you and letting the kind folks at Zonley know we sent you. I'll be back after our first story tonight, to tell you a little more about our friends at Zonley, including how those of you in my listening audience can enter for a chance to win a 100% free weighted blanket of your own and a custom-produced story, plus access to exclusive subscriber-only narrations and inside updates just by signing up for my podcast mailing list. Until then, go ahead and make sure your doors are locked. And check to make sure your closet doors are shut like they ought to be. That way, you'll have some warning when they creak open later while you're sound asleep. (laughs) Stay tuned. The show's about to begin. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. 
If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 24. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. In tonight's episode, the finale of our fourth season, I'll be performing four stories for you about harrowing heists, local legends, invisible attackers, and creeps that crawl. Season 5 begins next week, and I hope you'll join me then for the launch of a brand new set of 24 incredible episodes. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now... It's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show's about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of author Michael Ward and introduces us to a man with a penchant for petty crime and an appetite for destruction. When he drags his friends into his latest escapades, there's no telling what's going to happen next. Without further ado, I present to you The Shimmering Statue. Mark is not my real name. I'm changing the names for others' privacy, too. I'll tell you why I can't sleep. You'll find this a bit strange, but I swear it's all true. I'm friends with a guy, call him Bill, I worked with at the Crab House back in the day. We actually were on the same work shift together most weeks. Uh, that's kind of how we started hanging out. So, Bill is friends with this other guy, Tony. We go to Tony's house. Tony also has a girlfriend we'll call Deb. Me and Bill were knocking back some beers with Tony and Deb at Tony's place. He's got a row home with a concrete backyard in Baltimore County. I guess the name of the place is okay to say, but it's facing the alley or whatever. We either drink there or in the basement when a game's on. So we're there and we're talking about tarot and how Deb's been reading people their cards and she wants to go buy some new ones. I used to play with tarot when I was younger, but no big deal. We're crushing it when Tony starts talking about how the New Age store has a back room for weekly meetings, the Open Pagan Discussion Group. They've got Wiccans and Voodoo's and Norse mythology people. They all go there for their group. Tony's a cool guy, but he shoplifts a lot. He's always got magic, the gathering cards he pockets, or candy or some bullshit, wherever. 
Tony tells us about this one thing they have under the glass counter there, and he wants it. It's a figure, like a little statue. It's got a little card about the history standing up next to it. It's not for sale, he says. It's just for show, and he wants it. We go check it out. We ride up there in Tony's car. He's got a Dodge Charger. Remember that later. The New Age store smelled strongly of incense. As we enter, we see the glass counter on the left with items inside and a cash register on top. On the right are a pair of bookshelves, one displaying tarot cards in various styles, the other with a display of stuffed animal toy cats with wings and glittery unicorns. Ahead are a dollar-a-pound book bin. Some shelves on the left are stacked with jars of loose dry herbs for rituals, and in the middle are more books. There's an open door to a mostly empty back room with a table and some metal folding chairs. I check out the statue when we get there. It's this little black stone statue, about four or five inches tall, and shaped like a tentacled monster. The color is some kind of shimmering black, but with a greenish sheen, if that makes any sense. We talk to the lady behind the counter, and the guy who owns the shop comes over and tells us he's just borrowing the statue. He's holding it until the owner of the statue gets back from the Amazon. Then they're taking it to a museum to put it on a showcase. Cool. Except Tony gets this look in his eyes, especially when the owner tells us the legend. And we're like, uh-oh. It's a supposedly cursed statue. It makes people immune to death or harm, but also brings their doom. Tony proposes later over beers that we do a heist. He says we can unlock the shop back door with a shim and steal the statue. For a laugh, is how he puts it. I'm hesitant. Bill wants to go through with it. He thinks it'll be fun. Deb does whatever Tony does. I eventually relent. Now, to be perfectly clear here, I'm an idiot. We're all idiots. We do what Tony wants. He's this kind of electric personality. We meet back up that night around ten... I'm wearing black jeans and a black hoodie. My shoes are brown. Bill wears green army camouflage. Deb and Tony, they're also dressed in black. I've done a lot of 2020 hindsight thinking, and there are about a billion different ways this could have ended before it started. But there we were. We walk to the shopping center and stick to the backs of the buildings. The New Age store is at the end of a row of stores, so... We easily slip right up to it. Nobody is even around. It's going on midnight. One thing Tony knows for sure, he says, is that the New Age Place's cameras are all fake. He scoped it out before and has pocketed a few small things to test it. When we come up to the metal door in the back of the store, he pulls out a little brass tool, a little J-shaped baby trumpet. He sticks it between the gap of the door, lines it up with the lock, and turns the knob on the tool. The door pops right open. Genius. In for a penny, in for a pound. 
We go inside. Tony produces a knife and holds it out in front of him. That should have been a red flag. We scooby-doo it on into the store and straight to the front case. From the cashier's side, it's not even locked. The door just slides right open. The register is hanging open and empty. Tony tells Bill to get the statue. He does it. No alarm goes off. Okay, so far, so good. That's when it goes to shit. We're skulking into the back room again on our way out when out steps the shop owner, and he's pretty pissed. We bolt. Bill's got the statue. Tony's got his knife out. I run. Deb runs. As I'm stepping out of the store, I see Tony is right up in front of the owner, and then a moment later, he's outside with us. Book it, he tells us. So, apparently, Bill stumbles hard at the tree line, but nobody really notices, and Bill isn't phased. Listen. We're at Tony's basement, and Bill hands over Tony's statue. As soon as he does, his left leg buckles under him, and he twists his ankle. I'm telling you, he was fine up until that moment. After pausing for a beat, Tony says he's going to try something. Then he uses the tip of his knife to prick his palm. Nothing happens. No blood. Then he passes the statue to Deb. Immediately, his open palm oozes out some blood, which he quickly presses to his mouth. Hey, Debbie, let me cut you, he says. Tony proceeds to jab and faint at her threateningly with his knife. No, no, Tony, no, stop, Tony. I'm not kidding, Tony. She's backing up. No, you asshole. Here, take your stupid thing back. Here, I don't want it. I will, he says. Tony takes back the statue, looking pissed off at being called an asshole. Time passes. It's a little while later, and we're all a little drunk. Well, actually, Tony's very drunk. He's left the basement and come back by this time and is keeping something in the front pocket of his hoodie. Let's play Russian roulette, he says out of nowhere. Bill chuffs. <laughs> yeah, right, he says. But then Tony pulls a pistol from his kangaroo pocket. It's a revolver. The temperature in the room immediately drops. My heart skips a beat. Oh, Jesus, Tony... Not that thing again, Deb says. We're all feeling the same dread. See, Tony has this problem with anger management. It's entirely not out of character for him to pull a gun out of nowhere, and it's especially like him to tease us with it. We're playing, he states firmly. No, says Deb. Tony, no. Bill starts to object. But Tony stares him down and he looks away. The game is we have to hold the statue and then take a turn firing the gun at our own head. Tony, with the statue in hand, immediately turns the gun on himself and pulls the trigger. The gun dry fires and makes a loud click as the cylinder resolves. Then it's my turn. I take the statue and the polished sheen is smooth and it feels warm in my hand. I'm holding my breath, 
I touched the muzzle of the pistol to my right temple. I don't want to die. I realize he never showed us if the gun only has one bullet. I exhale slowly and squeeze the trigger. The loud click next to my ear is the scariest sound I've ever heard in my life. I breathe again and pass the gun and statue to Bill. No, says Tony. I want it to be Debbie's turn. You know she hates being called Debbie. Bill hesitates. Do it, says Tony. Cowed, Bill pushes the gun and statue into Deb's reluctant hands. Tony, no. He glowers darkly, daring her defiance. Tony, I'm scared. She says, please, Tony. Come on, Tony, it's not her turn. I say, trying awkwardly to help Deb. Who am I kidding? It's not a great plan. Deb gives the things over to Bill. Bill's eyes go wide, looking hunted. Takes the statue. He looks to Tony for a reaction. Yeah, okay, says Tony. Bill's trembling. He takes the gun. He points it at his temple. Click. The gun dry fires in his hand. He blanches. He sets both items down on the floor like they're too hot to touch. Deb makes no move to pick them up. I don't want to play, she says, her voice quavering. Oh, you're playing, Debbie. He put the inflection on the second syllable of her name, really driving his point home. She dared not defy him again, he was saying. Tony is staring daggers at her as he picks up the pistol. Pick up the statue, Debbie, or I'll shove it down your throat. She's crying now. Please. She breathes, nearly voiceless. Please, no. It's your turn. Take the statue. I demand that you pick it up. He roars. He raises the gun sharply, hyperextending his elbow, aiming at her face. Defeated, Silently sobbing through her tears, she reaches down slowly and picks up the statue. The percussive explosion from the muzzle of the gun makes us all jump back, except Tony. His eyes are blazing, the rictus across his face, neither grimness nor grin, cold as the dead. Seemingly in slow motion, my adrenaline pumping, I watch the bullet exit the gun. I watch it fly the distance to Deb. I watch it enter her face. God in heaven, I see it go into her face. Time kicks back in. My ears are ringing, my heart is palpitating. I'm shocked. She absorbed the bullet. Is that what I saw? She did it. I don't know how, but she did it. She absorbed the bullet into her face and then sat there with a horrified expression, but remaining completely uninjured. Everything is silent for just a moment. Tony's the first to move. He hoots. He's excited. He laughs maniacally. Bill looks pale, like he might be sick. Debbie is wide-eyed, frozen, now, 
whatever you do, Tony says, sounding like a smiling schoolteacher. Don't put the statue down, ever. She doesn't know how to react. I want to go home. Tony gathers Deb into his smiling embrace and suddenly sounds like a different man, like a jolly uncle. He consoles her, gently jokes with her, generally tries to cheer her up. He assures her that she'll be fine if she just hangs on to the statue, and he doesn't even want it anyway. She can keep it. She's freaked out, but okay. He sends her home, and we all break for the night. I go home and get some rest. I have to sleep off all this excitement. So it's over for the night. Or so we think. What I find out later is that during the night, Tony snuck into her house overnight wearing gloves, wiped all his prints off his gun, and put it in her father's hand. Then he slipped into her room and stole the statue while she slept. Her face and head were basically obliterated, and she'd have to have a closed casket at her funeral. Her father swore up and down his innocence, but he went down hard with the law. Elsewhere, the shop owner of the New Age store was also dead on the floor. The police didn't connect the two murders. Bill and I, we had no idea of this the next morning. When we met up at Tony's again that day, he kept a straight face, and he seemed as shocked as we were when he heard the news. She must have dropped the statue, he says. Where's the statue now, we wonder? He has no idea. It's not until weeks later, after the funeral, and everything had calmed back down, that we saw him with the statue again. I was astonished. He was nonchalant. This is at his place again. We're in his domain. He's got control of the statue and the room. I accuse him, he shrugs. I threaten to call the cops. He taunts. Go ahead. It turns quickly into an argument. He storms out. I storm after him. Bill stays put, hands up, palms forward, and declaring himself out of it. Tony gets into his Dodge Charger. I stop to the passenger side and get in. I cross my arms and try to look mean and serious. He looks bored and waves me away with the back of his hand. I buckle myself, still shouting accusations. He shrugs. He starts the car and drives. He gets onto the open road and starts to accelerate. He's going faster and getting faster. Trees and buildings fly past to the left and right of us. I glare at him and reach to buckle my seatbelt. He looks smug and deliberately doesn't buckle in. He's counting on the statue, saving him if we crash. We're passing other cars fast, too fast. I snake my hand out to swipe the statue out of his hand. He pulls it away and hits me in the nose with his elbow. Now he's talking. Now he's cursing me. We're both shouting as he jerks the wheel sharply to the right, and we hurtle down a side street. We're passing pedestrians, parked cars, houses, a lady walking her dog, a toddler on a tricycle, his father guiding him with his hand on the child's back. I'm telling him to stop, 
I'm pretty scared, and I want to get out of the car. Fuck you, Mark, he says. He yanks the steering wheel to the left, slaloms a lamppost, and takes us up a smaller street. I know where we are. We're on a dead-end road. We've got maybe a mile before the road runs out, and after that it's nothing but trees. He's laying on the accelerator hard. We're going to die. I look at the statue. I grab for it. He yanks it away. I'm scrabbling across him while he's jerking the wheel and weaving down the road. Here it comes, the dead end. A short guardrail and a red sign, and that's all that's between us and deadly trees. I'm grabbing. He's taking us up the curb. He's going to skirt the guardrail and aim us at a tree. He's laughing like a maniac. I'm desperate and panicking. I grab his head, pull it near, not even trying to hurt him, just pulling his arm with that statue closer so I can grab it. Trees. Impact in five, four, three. I grab it. My fingers curl around the statue. I feel the sweat on his hand, his tight fist losing its grip on the statue. Two. I have it. One. The world explodes. It's minutes later. I've woken up from an apparent blackout. The airbags are out and deflated. The turn signal is click, click, clicking. Tony is dead or dying. Even with the airbag, he still was slammed so hard that he'd been launched at the window. His head and face are a bloody mess. He's not responding when I say his name. I unbuckle the statue in my hand. I wrestle the door open. I get up and out of the car. I'm walking and I'm fine. I'm completely okay. I clutch the statue close. I'm a block or two down the road before sirens come screaming past on their way to Tony's car and his shattered body. I get home. I clutch the statue. I hold it tight while I take a shower. I dare not let it go. If the crash would have killed me, it'll catch up as soon as I let go of the statue. I'm writing this with one hand. My left hand is holding the statue and wrapped in duct tape. I'm telling you what happened today, and I can't risk ever dropping the statue. It's my whole life now. And I don't dare fall asleep. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. 
Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed the shimmering statue by author Michael Ward as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got another terrifying tale, this one from author Travis Brown, about a town with just one unbreakable rule. Don't look out the window when you hear the whistling coming down your street. But you know what they say, rules are meant to be broken. Before we proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit about uh, Zonli, the Amazon best-selling manufacturer of high-quality weighted sensory blankets dedicated to working with everyone from you and me to healthcare professionals, nonprofits, and schools to provide relief and relaxation to thousands of people. And this week, I'm giving away a Zonli weighted blanket absolutely free. To enter for your chance to win, all you've got to do is sign up for my scary stories told in the dark mailing list by Sunday, January 12th, 2020. To subscribe today, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Otis. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash O-T-I-S. You'll find yourself on the sign-up page. From there, just enter your first and last name and your email address, and you'll be entered automatically for your chance to win a Zonley weighted blanket 100% free. And if you win... We'll throw in something else awesome, too. A custom story. That's right. If you win the drawing, not only will you get an awesome Zonley therapeutic blanket, but you'll get the chance to work with our team of writers one-on-one to have a custom story penned in your honor about whatever you like to be narrated by me on a future episode. And if that's not good enough, you'll get access to the latest news and info regarding the show as well as access to subscriber-only promotional offers and exclusive story narrations not available to the general public. To get all that and more, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash O-T-I-S and join today. And thanks so much for signing up and for your support. It means a lot to me. Now, if you weren't convinced already that you wanted one, Allow me to tell you what makes Zonley's weighted blankets some of Amazon's best-selling anxiety-reducing items and why they're perfect for you and those you care about most. First, Zonley produces weighted blankets for both adults and children, so everyone in your family is covered. They've even got duvets to go with them if you'd like to get the whole package for them. What makes Zonley special? Their weighted blankets are made of natural and environmentally friendly materials, both glass beads and fabric, and their hypoallergenic, non-toxic, odorless beads are evenly sewn into ultra-small squares to make the blankets more comfortable. If you have trouble sleeping or problems with stress and anxiety, the Zonley blanket is here to help you. Their products are made out of the highest quality materials, painstakingly selected to withstand the test of time. Zonley believes in the quality of their unique, one-of-a-kind products so much, in fact, they're offering a guarantee on all of them. The company prides themselves on ensuring that nothing leaves their factories until they've been thoroughly checked 
and are guaranteed to be free of defects. Unfortunately, the market for weighted blankets is flooded these days with overseas-produced, low-quality products. So, at one time, it was tough to tell who you could trust. But with Zonli, each and every blanket is produced and inspected with love right here in the United States. So, you can rest easy knowing you're getting high-quality sleep products from folks who care and who are treated well and compensated fairly. With Zonli's seven layers of design, you can be totally confident you're getting unbeatable quality at an unbeatable price. The blankets, breathable materials, are perfect for helping control your body temperature while you and your loved ones sleep, while their weighted inserts with eight loops ensures the blanket stays put during the night. An extra two layers of cotton prevent the blanket from tearing or leaking, and the non-glue padding surrounds the product's environmentally friendly hypoallergenic glass beads for maximum comfort. And with their new sewing technology, Zonley's blankets have gotten even better recently, with smaller squares that help distribute weight more evenly for an even better night's rest. For hot sleepers, Zonley even offers a cooling bamboo version of their amazing blanket, and all of them come in a variety of sizes, colors, and patterns, so no matter your style, there's one you're bound to love. As if all of this wasn't enough, Zonley provides three-month return and replacement service and lifetime free customer service. If you ever have any questions or need additional help, all you need to do is contact them and they'll solve the problem for you as soon as possible. For more information about Zonley's famous weighted blankets and high-quality duvet covers, please visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Zonley. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash Z-O-N-L-I. You'll be redirected to Amazon.com, where you can pick up your own blanket today from their wonderful assortment and get started getting a better night's rest today. While you're there, check out the hundreds of five-star reviews from ordinary folks like you and me and see how much of a difference Zonley's blankets have made in their lives. Just so you're aware, as an Amazon associate, I earn from qualifying purchases by visiting the URL I've just provided before you make your purchase. A portion of your future sale comes back to me and the team at Scary Stories Told in the Dark at no cost to you and helps to support this very program. And it lets the folks at Zonley know that Otis Jiry sent you. Whether you end up purchasing a Zonley weighted blanket or end up buying any of the millions of other items available for sale on Amazon, a portion of your purchase is shared with us and it won't cost you a penny. All you've got to do is visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Z-O-N-L-I and shop as usual. Thanks so much for your time and for checking out Zonley this week. Your support means a lot to us. Now that we've made it easier to help you get a better night's rest, courtesy of our friends at Zonley, allow me to give you something to toss and turn about while you're still waiting for your blanket to arrive. Without further ado, I present to you The Whistler in the Night.
Every night, no matter the weather, something walks down our street whistling softly. You can hear it if you're in the living room or the kitchen when they walk by, and it always starts at exactly 3.03. The sound is faint at first, somewhere at the beginning of the lane near the Carson place. We're towards the middle of the street, so the whistling moves past us before fading away in the direction of the cul-de-sac. When I was younger, my sister and I would sneak into the kitchen some nights to listen. Mom and Dad didn't like that, and we'd catch hell if they found us out. But they were never too hard on us, since we always stuck to the one big rule. Don't try to look at whatever was whistling. My neighborhood's a funny place. I've lived there since I was six, and I love it. The houses are small but well-kept. Good-sized yards, plenty of places to explore. There are a lot of other kids here my age. I turned 13 back in October. We grew up together and would always play four-square in the cul-de-sac or roam around from back porch to back porch in the summer. This was a good place to grow up. I'm old enough to see it. And there's only the two strange things here. Night whistling and the good luck. The whistling never bothered me much. Like I said, I couldn't even hear it from my bedroom. But Mom and Dad don't like talking about it, so I've stopped asking questions. My dad is a strong guy, tall and calm. He has an accent since he moved to the U.S. as a kid. His family, my grandparents, they're from the islands. Uh, That's what they call it. My dad, the only time he isn't so calm is if the whistler comes up. He talks a little quicker then. Eyes move faster. And he tells us not to think about it so much and to always remember the one rule, the big rule. Don't try to look outside when the whistler goes past. Not that we could look, even if we wanted to. You see, there are shutters on the inside of every window. Thick pieces of heavy canvas that pull down to the top and latch to the bottom of every window frame. Each latch even has a small lock about the size of what you'd find on a diary. My dad locks those shutters every night before we all go to bed and keeps the key in his room. My mom... I don't know what she thinks about the whistling. I've seen her out in the living room before 3.03 when the sound starts. I could see her if I cracked my door open just an inch to peek. She's not out there often. At least I haven't caught her there much. But once or twice a month, I think she sits out there on our big red couch just listening. The whistler always has the same tune every night. It's cheerful. Da 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 dum, da 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 dum. Remember how I said there were two odd things about where I live? Well, besides our night whistler, everyone in my neighborhood is really lucky. It's hard to explain, and my dad doesn't like us talking about this part much, either. But good things just seem to happen to people around here a lot. Usually, it's small things winning a radio contest, or getting an unexpected promotion at work, or finding some arrowheads buried in the yard. You know, the authentic kind. 
The weather's pretty good, there's no crime, and everybody's gardens bloom extra bright in the fall. A million little blessings, I've heard my mom say about living here. But the main reason we stay here, why we moved here in the first place, is my sister, Nola. She was born very sick, something with her lungs. We couldn't even bring her home when she was born, only visit her in the hospital. She was so small, I remember. Small even compared to the other babies. A machine had to breathe for her. We moved into our house here to be closer to the hospital. As soon as we moved here, Nola started getting better. The doctors couldn't figure it out. They chalked it up to whatever they were doing, but we all could tell they were confused. But my parents knew. Even I, Nola getting better was just another of the million little blessings we got for living in our neighborhood. So, that's why we stayed here even after we found out that for every small miracle that happens here every day, now and then, some bad things happen. But they only happen if you look for the whistler. See, our neighborhood has a welcoming committee. They show up with macaroni casserole and a gift basket and a manila folder whenever someone new moves in. They're very friendly. Four people show up when we moved in seven years ago. The committee made small talk, gave me a Snickers bar, and took turns holding Nola. It was her first week out of the hospital, so they were extra careful. Then the committee asked to speak to my parents in private, so I was sent to my room where I still managed to hear nearly every word. The welcoming committee told my parents about how nice the neighborhood was, really exceptional. Hard to explain kind of nice. And then they told my parents about the even harder to explain whistling that happened every morning at 3.03 and ended at the tick of 3.05. The group, our new neighbors, warned my parents that the whistling was quiet, would never harm or hurt us as long as we didn't look for what was making the sound. The part they stressed as I pushed my ear into the door, straining to hear them. People who went looking for the whistler had their luck change, sometimes tragically. A black cloud would hang over anyone that looked. Anything that could go wrong would. The manila envelope the committee brought over contained newspaper clippings, stories about car crashes and ruined lives, public deaths, and freak accidents. Not everyone dies, I heard the head of the committee tell my dad, but the life goes out of them. Even if they live, there's no light in them ever again, no presence. My mom, I could tell, she wasn't taking it seriously. She kept asking if this was some prank they play on new neighbors. At one point, my mom got angry, accused the committee of trying to scare us out of our new home, asked them if they were racist on account of my dad being from the islands. My dad calmed her down, told her he could tell our new neighbors were sincere and they were just trying to help us. He explained that he grew up hearing these kinds of stories from his mom and that he knew there were strange things that walked among us. Some of those strange things were good and some were bad, but most were just different. After the committee left, my dad went out to the hardware store 
bought the canvas blinds, the latches, and the locks, and installed them on every window in the house after dinner. That first night in our new house, I crept out of my room at 3 a.m. only to find my dad awake, sitting on the living room couch, holding my baby sister. My dad held up his finger in a shh motion, but patted the couch next to him. I sat, and we waited. At exactly 3.03, we heard the whistling. Da-da, da-da-da-dum. Da-da-da-da-da-dum. It came, and it went, just like our neighbors said. The whistling returns each night, and we never look, and we enjoy our million little blessings every day. Nola breathes on her own, and she's growing into a strong, clever girl. My dad even joined the welcoming committee. We don't get new neighbors often. Why would anyone want to leave? But when a new family moves in, my dad and the committee bring them macaroni casserole, a gift basket, and the manila folder. I can always tell by the look on my dad's face when he comes back if the family took the committee seriously or if we'd be getting new neighbors again very soon. Not long ago, a family moved in directly next to us. The previous owner, Ms. Maddie, passed away at age 105. She lived a good, long life. Our new neighbors seemed like they'd fit in just fine. They believed the welcoming committee took my dad's advice about the locking shutters since they had a young child of their own. Whatever news clippings were in that manila envelope, whatever evidence, my dad never let us see. But I imagine it must have been awfully convincing, since our neighbors got along with no issues for the first month. One night, when our new neighbors had to leave town, they sent their son, Holden, to stay with us. He was twelve, a year under me in school. I didn't know him well before that night, but as soon as his parents dropped him off after dinner, I could tell it was going to be a bad time. Do you know who's always out there whistling every night? Holden asked the moment the adults left the room. The three of us were sitting in the den, some Disney movie playing idly on the television. My sister and I exchanged a glance. We don't talk about that. I said, I think it's that weirdo that lives in the big yellow house in the corner. Holden said, Mr. Tolls? My sister asked. No way, he's really nice. Holden shrugged. Must be a psycho killer, then. No latensed. We don't talk about it, I repeated. Let's go in my room and play Nintendo. We spent the next few hours playing games, eating popcorn, then watching movies. A typical sleepover, but I could see Holden was getting antsy. After my parents had wished us a good night, locked the blinds and gone to bed, Holden stood up from his beanbag and walked over to where Nola and I were sitting on my bed. Have you ever tried to even look? He asked. It's nearly time. Like most sleepovers, we conveniently ignored any suggestion of a bedtime. I was shocked to see he was right. It was almost 3 a.m. I sighed. We don't. See, I can't. I can't even try to look because... My dad locks the blinds every night and hides the key. He continued, ignoring me. So does our dad, said Nola. No, replied Holden. No, he doesn't. You saw him do it, I said. 
a little sharper than I meant to sound. Holden grinned. Your dad locks the blinds, yeah, but he doesn't hide the key. He keeps it right on his normal keychain. So? I asked, worried I already knew what he would say next, because I'd noticed that my dad didn't bother hiding the key anymore after all these years, because he knew we took it seriously. So, after your dad locked up, but before your parents went to bed, I went to the bathroom, and on my way, I may have peeked into their room, and I may have seen your dad's keychain on his nightstand, and I maybe went and borrowed the key to the blinds. Nola and I stared, and his grin only grew wider. You're lying, I said. Holden shrugged. You can check if you want. Just open your parents' door and look. You'll see his keychain right there on the nightstand. Stay here, I told them both. Don't move a muscle. I hurried over to my parents' room but hesitated at the door. If Holden wasn't lying, my dad would be angry. Beyond angry. I was scared thinking about it. But more scared of an open window with a whistler right outside. I opened the door, barely an inch, and looked in, but it was too dark to see. Taking a deep breath... I walked into the room. Two steps into the dark, I froze. The whistling started, and I could hear it clearly from my parents' room. I never realized, but they must have heard the sound every night since we moved into the house. They never told us. I don't think I could have slept through it. I stood there, listening to the whistling come closer, unsure whether I should turn on a light or call out for my dad. Soft sounds from the living room brought me back to reality. Nola! I yelled, running out of my parents' room. Holden and Nola were standing near the front door next to a window. Holden wasn't lying. I could see him fumbling with the lock on one of the blinds. I heard a click. He did have the key. Holden let out a quick laugh. Nola stood next to him, hunched up, afraid but maybe curious. The whistling was right outside our house now. I think I made a sound, called out. I can't remember. Time felt frozen, clock hands nailed to the face. But I found myself moving. I'm not fast, I've never been athletic. Somehow, though, I covered the space between myself and Nola in a moment. My eyes were locked on her, but I heard Holden pull the blind all the way down so it could release. I heard the snap of it start to rise, and I heard the whistling just on the other side of the window. But I had my arms around Nola, and I turned us so she was facing away from the window. At the same time, I jammed my eyes shut. The blind whipped open. The whistling stopped. I felt Nola shaking in my arms. Don't look, okay? I told her, don't turn around. We were positioned so that she was facing back toward the hallway, and I was facing the window. My eyes were still closed. I felt her nod into my shoulder. I reached out with an arm, not holding Nola, and tried to touch Holden. My hand brushed against his arm. He was shaking worse than Nola. Holden? I asked. Silence. 
I reached past him and gingerly felt for the window, eyes still sealed shut. The glass was cold against my fingertips, colder than it should have been for the time of year. I moved my hand up the window, searching for the string to the blind. The glass began to get warmer the farther I reached, and there was a gentle hum feeding back into my fingertips. I tried not to think about what might be on the other side of the window. Finally, I touched the string and yanked the blind shut. I opened my eyes. In the dim light, leaking out from the kitchen, I could make out Holden, pale and small, staring at the now-closed window. Holden? I asked again. He turned toward me and he screamed. Everything became a flurry of motion. Lights sparked to life in the hall, then the living room. My parents' footsteps thudded across the hardwood floor. I didn't turn to look back at them. My eyes were glued to Holden. He was pale. It bit his lip so hard there was a thin red line of blood running down to his chin, and he'd wet himself. What happened? My dad asked from behind me. I managed to swivel away from Holden and look back. He looked. I'd never seen my dad scared before, but I saw it that night, in that moment, an old, ugly terror stitched on his face. A parent's fear. Just holding. He mouthed to me. I nodded, yes. My dad let out a breath. He looked so relieved. I nearly expected to see him cheer. But then he turned to holding and my dad's face changed. I wondered if he felt bad for feeling good that Holden was the only one that looked. There was a knock at the door. We all froze. Holden whimpered. Don't answer it, my mom said. She stood at the threshold of the hall. I always thought she was a skeptic and just humored my dad about the windows and the whistler, but that night we were all believers. I noticed that both of my parents held baseball bats they must have taken from their bedroom. The knock came again a little louder this time. Please don't open the door. Holden whispered. My dad walked over to him, hugged him close. We won't, my dad promised, still holding his bat. Nothing is coming in here tonight. Thud, thud, thud. This time, the knocking was loud enough to rattle the door. Holden screamed again, and Nola clutched her arms around my neck. My mom came over and knelt down next to us, wrapping my sister and me close. Thud, thud, thud. Call the police. My mom whispered to my dad. The knocking instantly stopped. My dad looked over his shoulder at us. Do you think? He was cut off by frantic knocking that trailed off to a polite tap, tap, tap. Police, something said from the other side of the door. The voice from outside sounded exactly like my mom like a parrot repeating the words back to her. Police! Call the police! Tap, tap, tap. Police! My mom pulled us closer. Police! 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 Please stop! I heard her whisper to herself. I don't think calling them will help. 
My dad said, How will we know when they're the ones at the door? The knocking came back harder than before. The door shook. Then it stopped. After a long moment, I heard the knocking again, but it was coming from our back door. We all turned together towards the back door, but the knocking immediately returned to the front door. Front to back, back to front, loud, then quiet, then loud again. Suddenly the sound was coming from both doors at once, big, heavy blows, like a sledgehammer. Then something started rapping against all of the windows in the house, then the walls. It was like we were living inside a drum with a dozen people trying to play all at once. Or we were a turtle and something was attempting to claw us out of our shell. Stop! Holden yelled. The knocking died. I won't tell, Holden said, staring at the door. I promise I won't tell anyone what I saw. Just please go away. We waited for nearly a minute. Then we heard it. A soft tap, tap, tap. Coming from the window Holden had looked through earlier. Holden started to cry, sobbing like a prisoner, watching gallows being built outside their cell. My dad held him, brushed his hair, but never lied to him, never told him things would be okay. The tapping at the window went on for the rest of the night. We huddled together in the living room for I don't know how long. Eventually, my mom tried to take us kids into my room while my dad stayed to watch the door. But the second we moved into my bedroom, the knocking came back, so loud it was impossible to ignore. I was afraid the door wouldn't take it. We went back to the living room, and the knocking stopped. Only the tap, tap, tap on the window remained. None of us slept that night. The tapping stopped around 7 a.m. That was about the time the sun comes up here. We waited another two hours before my dad opened the blinds from one window. He made us all go back to my parents' room, the bedroom, first. I heard him open the door and then come back in. Okay, he told us, it's done. Holden's parents came back around lunchtime. My mom and dad walked Holden over to his house, and they all went inside for quite a while. Nola and I watched from the window. She stuck to me the whole day, right by my side, sometimes holding my hand. When my parents came back, they looked grim, but wouldn't tell us what they said to Holden's family. It was a Sunday, so we all spent the day together, ordered pizza, and watched movies. That night, everyone slept in my room. Nola and my mom in the bed with me, my dad in a chair he'd pulled over. There was no knocking that night or any night since. We didn't see much of Holden or his parents for the rest of that week, but by Thursday there was a moving truck in their driveway. Nola and I watched them packing up the whole afternoon after school. What sticks with me most is how tired Holden and his parents looked. All three had the same pallor, grim mouths and lightless eyes. Even from across the street, I could tell something was very wrong. Holden and his family were gone before sunset. I remember what the original welcome committee said to my parents when we moved in. 
Not everyone who looks at the Whistler dies, but even those that live have the light go out of them, and the rest of their lives are full of misfortune. A million little tragedies. I think Holden's parents must have looked, either to comfort him if they didn't believe, or share the burden if they did. I watch Nola some days, happy and young and alive, and I wonder if I'd been slower, if she'd look out the window that night. Would I have looked too, to comfort her, to share that burden? I'm glad I didn't have to find out. It's been two months since the night Holden stayed here. We still live in that house, in that neighborhood. We still hear our whistler walking past every night. The blessings, the luck, the good things here are too good to leave. But we're careful. We don't have friends over to spend the night anymore. And my dad hides the key to the blinds very, very well. Not that I've gone looking. Some things you just don't need to look for. I hope you enjoyed The Whistler in the Night by author Travis Brown, performed by yours truly. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark, the finale of our fourth season. Don't forget to check us out again next week when season five launches, with 24 brand new episodes planned to give you the creeps all through 2020. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please... Take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012. All of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Finally, thanks again to Zonely for giving us the chance to share their products with you today. Don't forget, as an Amazon associate, I earn from qualifying purchases, and you can help support me and this show at no extra cost by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Zonely. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash Z-O-N-L-I. You'll be redirected to Amazon.com, where you can pick up your own weighted blanket today or any of the other items on your shopping list. 
and a portion of your purchase, whatever it might include, comes back to me and the team to help to support this program. And it lets the folks at Zonley know that Otis Jari sent you, and your support means a lot to both of us. Lastly, just a reminder that you can enter to win a Zonely weighted blanket of your own, absolutely free. Not only that, but the winner of our drawing will get a custom-produced story, plus access to exclusive subscriber-only narrations and inside updates just by signing up for my podcast mailing list. To enter, sign up by Sunday, January 12th, 2020, at simplyscarypodcast.com slash Otis. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash O-T-I-S. You'll be entered automatically for your chance to win this week's item 100% free, plus all the other cool bonuses and features I've mentioned today. Thanks again so much for your support. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep. If you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive 
and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.